It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. After a couple weeks off uh, traveling the region for postseason basketball, we are back but still talking basketball because that is still really what most Missouri fans are interested in. And we're actually going to start Today was some high school hoops with now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe three-time state champion Webster Groves coach Jay Blossom. Coach, how you doing? Great, great. Yeah, three times and uh, really excited for my kids this year. And uh, it's, it's what an easy journey, but they <laughs> they uh, they got there. And and back-to-back, obviously, Courtney Ramey and Cartier Gordon, a, a big part of that run. But uh, like you said, I mean, not just uh, not just from day one, uh, necessarily coasting through the state title game. Uh, challenging year for you guys, but you overcame a lot. Yeah, I mean, we obviously we upgraded our schedule. I think we played against seven McDonald All-Americans. Uh, we I think we spent 15 nights out of 31 nights in a hotel, uh, you know, hotel room. And uh, Courtney getting hurt, and Cartier had a suspension, but. Um, Guys are really good down the stretch. I mean, really focus in and attention to detail and scouting report and all those types of things. And it, uh, you know, it paid off in the end. And then a state title game that featured three big time D1 players from the city of St. Louis, including Jericho Helms from Chaminade. And, uh, coach, I don't know the exact number. I think there were 147 fouls called in that game. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know what? In defense of the official, that would have been a hard game to officiate. I mean, it was. Yeah. People have been waiting for that game for you know four or five six years. I guess is the last time we played them, and uh, pretty intense type uh, atmosphere and environment. And um, you know, it I, I don't know if it, it, it happened, but just you know, we've never scored 100 points and to score 101 points in, in the state championship game, which obviously the state record was was incredible. If you would have told me we would have given up 90 points, and I wouldn't be mad, I, I would have found it hard to believe. But uh, yeah, wild game, wild atmosphere, and uh, you know, just glad we came out on top. Yeah, coach. Before we talk about some of your kids specifically, just the amount of talent that is in this state, and I guess the the kind of surrounding areas. If you go over to to some of the kids on across the river in Illinois and and across the border in Kansas, the next couple of years, you've been around Missouri high school basketball a long time. How's this? How's how do these couple classes, you know, eighteen, nineteen, even twenty twenty, kind of compare? Well, I mean, I, I you know, just if you just take the last five to seven years in, in the St. Louis area, I mean, the talent level is just, it's, it's off the chain compared to, to what I remember. I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, maybe Mizzou would recruit a guy or so and, and maybe someone would go out of state. And now it's just there's so much talent. Uh, and, and some of, you know, obviously guys in the NBA, I think potential, you know, future NBA guys are, are, are in some of these classes. I mean, it's just uh, it's incredible what's happened. I mean, and I don't, you know, I, I think, you know, good high school coaching, good AAU programs, uh, you know, kids have trainers at young ages, but it's just, it's remarkable what's happened with basketball, especially just in the St. Louis area and surrounding area. And I, I know you follow Missouri closely, and I've said this a number of times, uh, going back, really starting with, with probably David Lee, then to Tyler Hansborough and, and kind of on through the years, I have always said if Mizzou could simply recruit its state well, and that doesn't mean get them all, but get its fair share, that's a top 25 program. You agree with that statement? Yeah, without a doubt. And and obviously Mizzou's had some really bad luck when, you know, starting with, you know, Hansborough for, you know, instance, just, I mean, 
you know, Quinn had it going, and all of a sudden things kind of went a little south there when mm-hmm. when Tyler was, you know, starting to, you know, to heat up. And you know, I think he would have been ours if if that hadn't happened. And then and then just very, you know, just just bad timing on 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 different kids and stuff along those lines. So I don't know. I'm hoping that that that's going to change with with the current regime. And at least I'm, you know, I'm hoping it will. And and I think he's made a lot of progress and and making some connections. And it doesn't happen overnight, but I think he's. I think he's doing the you know the groundwork to make those things happen. Yeah, I know when Conzo was hired in Columbia, the proponents of the hire, the strongest proponents, said you guys have no idea what his impact is going to be in St. Louis. And I, I think, frankly, at the time he was hired, I undersold that a little bit. I didn't quite realize how much people uh, revere him over in that area. Can you give us an idea just being – and I understand, obviously, Webster Groves is different from, from East St. Louis, but – just kind of the general impression of Coach Martin from uh, uh, not not even just coaches, just people over there. Yeah, well, and, and St. Louis is a unique place now. Um, yeah. You know, as far as there's a lot of different, a lot of different views on Mizzou and and, and different things along those lines. And uh, but I think he's the type of guy that you know you know all sorts of people will kind of you know want to be around and and just his his energy and his passion and and the way he communicates with kids and stuff like that I think I think he's got some really strong selling points and uh you know hopefully that's you know it was already paid off obviously with you know right. what happened this year and 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 getting uh you know the kid from East St. Louis and stuff like that so I mean I think it's already starting to pay off and you know I think that I think the future is really bright for Mizzou in in, in the St. Louis area and that you know, two or three years ago, I would have said that was almost hard to believe. Yeah, definitely. Uh, talking with Jay Blossom, head coach at Webster Groves. And speaking of the future, it's going to look a little different for your team. Obviously, you're losing some guys. Uh, you know, I, I think it's three seniors uh, off that team that are leaving, but the, the two names everybody knows, uh, Gordon and, and Ramey. And just want to start with Cartier. I know it hasn't always been smooth sailing for him the last couple years, but just physically – I mean, this kid looks like an NFL tight end. How how good can he be at the next level if all the if all the pieces and everything kind of come together? Yeah, I, I think he's he's got a chance to be sensational. I mean, and, and I tell you what, we would we would not have two rings on our fingers if it wasn't for him. I mean, he's he's a great teammate. He shares the basketball. He's he's one of the most unselfish big men that that I've ever seen. Uh, his footwork is. Is it's as good as any it's any post player you'll see, and you know high school, college, wherever. I mean, it's it's this sensational, and uh, you know what he's he's made a lot of progress. Uh, we've got a little bit of work still to do here in the classroom here, but uh, I, I think he's starting to figure things out. And, and if he does figure everything out, I mean, look out because uh, I mean his his ceiling is really really high. So um, hopefully, and, and kids figure things out at different times. And I, mm-hmm. I said, if he does, look out because he's he's going to be a He's going to be a really good player at St. Louis U, and and then beyond that. And obviously, most of the people listening to this are are Missouri fans, but there's some crossover, and and certainly some SLU fans. I mean, uh, a huge get for that program. Were you just just going through the process a little bit with Cartier? Were Were you surprised that he was a kid that chose to stay in town? A little bit, but then he's also he's he's kind of a homebody. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he. He loves St. Louis. He likes, you know, he, he's got his his buddies and stuff along those lines. So I guess it doesn't shock me. Um, 
you know, sometimes you like to see those kids like that maybe go away and experience some things. But uh, I think he's in good hands at SLU, and, and hopefully it's going to – Hopefully it's going to work out to be to be a positive for him and, and for the SLU program. And the one that, that I know most people listening to this want to talk about, obviously, is Courtney Ramey. And for you guys listening, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to put Coach on the spot and ask him where Courtney Ramey is going to school. But uh, just, Jay, kind of what's what's the process been like with Courtney, obviously, with the, with the Louisville situation and, and now wherever he's at uh, with your guys' season over? Yeah, I mean, it's – Obviously, it's been a long process with him because he's such a great player, um, you know. And, and to, have, to be so close, I think we had. I think Patino was in our gym eight days before all that stuff broke, and you know we're taking pictures and setting up the signing date inf- info and stuff. And and all of a sudden, you know, he's get you know hit like a sledgehammer with that news. And um, you know, and, and and Cordy was really looking forward to playing, you know, for Louisville and, and for Coach Patino and stuff. So. I, you know, kind of a, a step back, but then obviously when that happened, you know, almost any school in the country you can name uh, came calling, and you know he keeps it really close to the vest, and, and, and his dad obviously is very influential in this process, and um, you know even if you told me he asked to be able to his chance, I really couldn't tell you because he, right. he he really doesn't say a lot about it, and you know as a head coach, you know at least down the stretch, it, you know that that was kind of a nice deal. I mean. He, he never talked about recruiting. He just talked about trying to win a state championship, and that's in today's world of individualism and stuff. You don't you don't see that very often, and I think that's part of what makes him such a, a special player. It, can you give me an idea? And and I know every every recruitment is different as far as how involved a high school coach is or an AAU coach is, but just these these head coaches, these coaches are coming to your school. I know Frank Martin was there earlier this week, just kind of an idea of how much traffic you've gotten this spring and, and some of the coaches that have, have come through to kind of check on Courtney. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously as, as a head coach is having Frank Martin, Rick Pitino, uh, you know, cons of different guys in your gym, watching your practice and stuff. That's for just an old high school coach. That's a pretty neat thing. And you know what, the other thing as a high school coach, you kind of like about that is, you know, kids are kids and, I bet half the guys on my team's out there there watching them, and you know what? It makes for it makes our practices a heck of a lot better. So uh, that's always kind of neat too. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot of traffic. I mean, trying to you know um, you know form relationships with Courtney and stuff along those lines. But I don't know. I said I'm I'm an old coach without that many years left. It's just fun to sit down after practice and talk to those guys and mm-hmm. and hear some of their stories about college basketball and stuff. And and like I said, I mean Frank Martin, Cons. I mean. He, not just great coaches, but just great people have been in our gym, and that that even makes it more special. Obviously, uh, you know, Courtney, one of the top unsigned players in the country, and I've seen a lot of people th- say, and and with guys like Cartier Gordon and Io Desunmo, I've seen some people say they think he's the best player in Missouri or Illinois this year. Just as a basketball player, how good's this kid, and, and what's he do really well? Well, I would agree with that. I do think he's the best player in Missouri or Illinois. I mean, he's going to, I mean. He can score the ball. He, he he's unselfish. I mean, he can run the show. He's the best. He's the best rebounding guard I've I've ever coached or ever seen in the high school level. I mean, he's sensational on the glass. Uh, he can defend. I mean, he guarded some really really good players this year, and he's got some length. I mean, he's he's the whole package. I mean, whoever gets him is is getting the whole package, and uh, he can change a game in in a, in a heartbeat. And I said he's. You know he's he's used to playing with the ball in his hands, but I mean using ball screens, he's he's as good as you're going to find. And you know if you've got shooters and you can space the floor, I mean he's a he's a deadly player. So uh, yeah, somebody's get somebody in my opinion, they are getting the best player in in the state of Missouri without a doubt. And I know it obviously depends on the situation in the roster wherever he does end up, but like 
a kid that can walk in and as a true freshman, like potentially be a starting point guard day one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. I, I love Mizzou. I, you know, I watched Mizzou games this year, you know, and four or five games, I'm thinking, man, if he was playing right now, they would have won that game. I'm yeah. glad he was with me. But, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I think he could walk in right away and play. And, um, you know, I just – I just really don't know really what is what he's thinking. I mean, I I know he likes Mizzou, and he, I I just but I I'm I'm hoping you know he yeah. he sees a lot of black and gold on on the walls here in my classroom. So <laughs> uh, I'm trying to do what I can do. But uh, I said it said his dad is 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 really involved with this and helping him out, and and I know they're looking for the best situation for him to be successful, not only in college but also you know hopefully at the next level. And and I think and he's a winner too. I think he wants to go to where he thinks he probably has the best chance to win a national championship. And I, and I respect that. Just a couple more minutes with Webster Groves head coach Jay Blossom. So you look forward to next year uh, losing those three guys. Uh, you guys got a chance to get back to, I don't know whether it's in Springfield or whether they're going to so do the thing I would like and move it to Columbia. But Yeah, and, and being a Columbia guy, I wish it was in Columbia also. But, uh, you know, the, the gym or the gymnasium in Springfield is, was pretty nice for it last mm-hmm. year. I mean, but – um, having St. Louis and Kansas City schools travel that far, I'm not a big fan of. But uh, no, we'll be okay next year. I'll be, I'll probably, obviously, be a lot dumber without those guys. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's times this year I just stand up and start clapping a little bit because they, you know, I could almost diagram anything, and those two would make it, you know, or those three with R.J. Wright included would, would make it happen. So uh, next year will be a little bit different. But you know, we've, we've won 20 consecutive games for, for 15 straight years. So we'll, we're going to try to keep it going. But it will, it'll, it's going to be a little bit harder with, without a doubt. I want to ask you real quick because obviously you, you, I don't think you guys played him because it's a different class, but uh, Missouri signed uh, Torrance Watson in this class. Uh, you know, what, what kind of a player is that kid? Well, first off, just a, he's a great kid. I mean, one of the most personal type kids you'll ever meet. So he, he'll be a, a great representative for the university. And, uh, you know what, I think he's going to get a lot better, you know, with playing the higher level competition and stuff along those lines. So uh, I think it's a great gift for Mizzou and, um, like I said, people are going to love him. I mean, he's got a smile on his face that's, that's contagious, and uh, hes I think he's everything you'd want in a student-athlete. All right, last thing for you, I'm going to ask you to play area scout for me. This time next year, who's the guy out of all these kids in St. Louis and kind of the area that you're familiar with that everybody's talking about? Uh, Belleville West, EJ. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, he is a special player, and uh, whoever gets him is, is uh, going to be really, really happy. <laughs> All right. Well, Jay, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on the uh, state title, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks, Gabe. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Webster Groves coach Jay Blossom joining us on the podcast. And uh, heck of a year that Webster put together. Like he said, I mean, Cartier Gordon and, and Courtney Ramey, uh, hey, that that's a pretty good start to winning a couple state titles in the state of Missouri. Um, hey, you kind of heard it there. I, I didn't want to put coach on the spot. I didn't want to bring it up, but he did. He is a huge Missouri fan. He's certainly uh, been in Missouri's corner way back when, you know, Webster obviously sent Tate Decker and Johnny Parker to Mizzou, and uh, that was under Norm. Uh, and, and now, you know, obviously Conzo really recruiting Courtney Ramey heavily. He said it. He said the same thing I've told you guys. We don't know. We don't know where that's at. We don't know where Courtney's going to end up. Uh, until he and his dad want to want to talk and kind of let people in on the process a little bit, which 
maybe they will, maybe they won't at, at some point. Who knows? The next thing we hear about Courtney Ramey may very well be, be hey, he's on this campus on a visit, or hey, he's making a commitment. Who knows? Um, but until that happens, uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. Nobody really knows, including, as you heard, his high school head coach. But uh, appreciate Coach Blossom joining us. And now I want to turn our attention to SEC basketball a little bit. And as is always the case, uh, Athens, Georgia, the uh, the center of SEC basketball um, these days to some extent. We're going to talk to Anthony Dasher from UGASports.com. Uh, the Bulldogs fire Mark Fox, hire Tom Crean. So before we get to Tom Crean, whose name was was mentioned here quite a bit last year, Dash, just, just a kind of a situation where – Hey, Fox was there a long time. He was decent, but not great. And it was just kind of time for a change. Pretty much. It was kind of the Mark Rick syndrome is kind of how I like to uh, describe it. Nine years at Georgia, only two trips to the NCAA. Both of those years, they lost the first round. And, you know, just uh, there wasn't just a lot of interest in, in, in the basketball program at Georgia. So they needed, uh, needed some, uh, some spent policy on the program, I think. And that's uh, one of the, I think the biggest reasons they decided to, to make a move. So, how much interest in good times is there in the basketball program at Georgia? Because you tell me if I'm wrong, Georgia strikes me as one of those places that they could win like back-to-back NCAA titles, and if the football program's going well, nobody really notices. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I was here when Jim Harris was the head coach, and they packed Stabler Coliseum on a regular basis. Same thing when Toby Smith, a couple of years he spent here in Athens, they went to the NCAA. There was a Exciting uh, time for, for basketball fans, and I know I, I, I actually disagree with that. If, uh, okay. if, the, if, the, if the product is right, they play an exciting brand, they're winning, people will show up and people will get excited. And as we saw uh, with this basketball search, I mean, you know, UGA Sports has been in existence since 1996. And we put a coaching search thread for the, for the basketball job on our board when the job was uh, you know first uh, made available. It had more responses than any other thread we've ever had in the history of our, our site. So uh, there's definitely interest in basketball. It's just a, a matter of getting a program, getting the, getting the coach, getting the, a team that people get excited about. So what's, and this isn't necessarily specific to Tom Crean, but like in your opinion, what's a real a reasonable ceiling for that program? I mean, the one thing that, that is definite is that they have access to a lot of talent just in their immediate yes. surrounding area. And because of that, I think it should be a reasonable expectation for Georgia basketball to uh, to be a, an NCAA team on a regular routine basis. I really do. I mean, everybody talks about how great the talent uh, for football is in this state. Basketball is honestly not, not too far behind. I mean, you look at some of the top guys that come out of the Atlanta area, and I remember specifically it was three years ago, I think it was, uh, we did a little uh, research on this. Of all the NCAA teams, uh, there were 34 players, I think, for the state of Georgia that year three years ago. Wow. So there's definitely a ton of talent here. Georgia just hasn't done a, you know, hasn't been that consistent by getting the share, and, and they hope uh, with Tom Crane that's going to change. Uh, so I've made this. This is kind of what I've said for Missouri and the SEC. Like I look around this league and look, we everybody understands it's Kentucky and then everybody else. That's sure. going to be the top program year in and year out. But I've argued for Missouri that their goal should be to be the second best program in this league, and almost without exception, being in the top half. So. What's the goal for Georgia as to where that program fits in this league? I think Georgia feels it should be in the top echelon. I really do. They look at kind of what Florida has done. Florida is kind of the same, you know, situation. Now Florida did a great job 
hiring Billy Donovan a few, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and they won a couple of national titles with him. And I think the feeling is in Athens, if it can be done in Gainesville, Florida, same it can be done in Athens, Georgia. Now, again, I'm not saying Georgia is going to all of a sudden jump up in like, like Missouri wants to be the number two team in the conference. But, again, I do think it could be a team that can be consistently with the right talent to be consistently in the running for an state bid, you know, at least every other year, every two or three years uh, to make a good run and then be a, a team that finishes it at least just above the middle of the pack in, in the SEC. All right, so now to Tom Crean. Again, we're talking to Anthony Dasher at UGA Sports, and uh, a lot of Missouri fans wanted him in Columbia a little over a year ago. If I read correctly, he had like a 12-minute opening statement at his press conference. Is that right? Uh, you better, better multiply that by three. It was a Is that right? An opening statement. I've never in my life or any coach <laughs> seen a filibuster. I wasn't really a filibuster. It was just uh, him just, just – just, just going crazy on all the excitement for being at UGA and being the coach. And for 28 minutes long, and after he got done with that, he took questions for 30 minutes. And after that, he spoke with the beat writers for 15 more. So it was like an hour and 15 minutes. He was up on the podium or off to the side uh, speaking about his job. But yeah, that was uh, quite the uh, opening uh, remarks. That reminded me of some of the crazy stuff you know we see in SEC media days. Yeah. Football coach would get up and try to try to waste all the time. But Coach Cream was just. Uh, he was just excited. He just was going all about the process, about how he wanted to be at Georgia and just how he thinks the program could be, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, whatever. He was up there just uh, just, uh, just going at it. And i tell you what, he got done. I feel like I'd just I'd run a marathon just kept just, just, just tired from all that. Yeah. And, and I guess in a good way, just exhausted by listening to him uh, carry on like he did. But he, he was God. really, really pumped up about the whole deal. God bless all of you that had to transcribe quotes that day. Uh, but, it, no, it, it kind of goes along with what I've always heard about Crean, which is he is, like, almost childlike energy, and just it takes kind of a unique personality as an AD to be able to work well with him. Do you get that sense? Well, yeah, I'm going to give you a quick story. Uh, now, you know, uh, wait at the airport. It happens for him to arrive uh, from down in, uh, in Tampa. He gets off the plane. And uh, off to the side, so that after the airport's a small airport, so it really bring in, you know, private jets, so that's the word deal. But uh, anyway, he gets off the plane, and off to the side, there's a gentleman, you know, in his 50s, he's got his two kids with him, uh, I don't know, grandkids, well, one is 11, one is eight. Tom Crane gets off the plane. Now, these people, you know, not, you know, obviously not, I don't know if the Georgia fans are not. Anyway, Coach Crane gets off the plane, he walks up to him, says, hi, my name is Tom Crane. I'm the, I'm the head coach of the Georgia basketball program. Want to take a picture? It's kind of been that way with him ever since he has been in Athens. You see him walking around campus, shaking hands, introducing himself. He has been on social media more in in in, in what in, in four days. And Mark Fox has been well than nine years. He has done more to 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 again to be out there in public doing radio shows again on social media uh, than, than Coach Fox ever was. That's been a big uh, that's been a big reason why I think people are really getting excited behind him because he's out there pushing the program and pushing what the, his, his view is of Georgia basketball. All right, so let, let's finish up then. Uh, just just quick question. I know it's spring football for everybody. Um, obviously, yeah. Georgia makes the national title game last year and was within, uh, you know, a, a miracle play of winning it. Um, so I assume the goal then is next step. I mean, is this – do you think this yeah. is the number one team in the country when the season starts? I, I don't know about that, but I, I – I, I, they're going to be mentioned in, in, in the top, and I think they've got a chance to have another very, very good year. I don't know if I'd 
put a number one right now because there are so many Arsenal questions on uh, really on both sides of the ball. They just still need to answer. But uh, again, talent is there. Uh, Jake Fromm is back. Uh, I know the running backs are going to Chubb and Michelle, but they've got a stacked group behind those guys. Uh, I don't think they're going to miss much from beating the backfield. Uh, defensively, they got replaced with Renzo Carter and Davin Miller. But again, they've got you know four and five star kids lined up behind them. It's just the kids got to get that experience if they progress. Like they think, and I, and I believe Georgia has a chance to repeat as these champions and have a shot to to get back. You mentioned Chubb and Michelle. I think people will be surprised at this answer if what I think it is. Which one gets drafted first in April? I think Sony Michelle does. I mean, I just again based on the, the the his versatility, based on what he did in the uh, playoffs and in the championship game, uh, he earned, earned himself a lot of coin. I think uh, during that time and. Uh, He's really a kid who I think is going to come wind up being a late first-round pick. All right, Dash, I appreciate it, man. We'll let you go and uh, catch up down the road. See ya. All right. Anthony Dasher, UGASports.com. The other new hire in SEC basketball was in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, We've known for a long time Andy Kennedy was out. Kermit Davis from Middle Tennessee is in, who was a guy that I mentioned his name at Missouri last year. Not many other people did. Um, I thought he was a guy that was ready to take the next step. We're going to talk to Neil McCready of uh, Rebel Grove, who covers Ole Miss. Neil, how you doing, man? I am good, Gabe. Always good to, uh, to visit with you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time. I know you spend like nine hours of every day doing your own podcast, so I appreciate you taking <laughs> ten minutes to do ours. <laughs> We're up to, uh, let's see, I, I guess I do nine podcasts a week. So, yeah, wow. I do uh, – I do quite a quite a bit of podcasting. Wow, I get tired of hearing my own voice after like thirty five minutes every week. So, um, <laughs> uh, all right. So, Ole Miss. Uh, first off, I, we just talked to Anthony Dasher at Georgia about kind of the process down there, and and want to go through kind of the same deal with you. I mean, Andy Kennedy, a guy who had a good amount of success, but just kind of what had reached his ceiling there, and there there wasn't anywhere else to go, or or what was the what was the rationale, I guess, for moving on. Yeah, this was an administrative screw up at the highest level. Um, you know, he he had been here. This was his twelfth season. Um, he had been to the tournament twice, won an SEC tournament. Uh, you know, beat Missouri in, in 2013 on that crazy Friday night game, and then went on to win the tournament. Uh, I believe Marshall to- Henderson might have like flipped me a double bird at one point during that game. I'm not positive, <laughs> but I think it could have happened. Well, as someone who covered Marshall, I can tell you that uh, that that does not put you in exclusive company. <laughs> yeah, I, like I don't um, think it was directed at me specifically, but Marshall uh, to say that Marshall marches to the beat of his own drummer is an understatement. Um, he, he, I'll give him credit. He is he is true to his personality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> interesting guy, Marshall yeah. Henderson, but. You know, Andy had been there 11 years. They, they'd had a couple of tournaments. And, and uh, you know, there was a, there is a segment of the Ole Miss fan base that included some uh, high-ranking boosters that, that felt like that was underachieving. Um, I think that's debatable, frankly, whether that's underachieving or not. But uh, they sort of did this little power move on, on Kennedy last spring. You know, he... His contract was such, Mississippi law does not allow a public employee to have anything more than a four-year contract. And so his contract always rolled over, just rolled it over, and that increased the buyout to three years. Well, last year, 
for the first time in, in his tenure, they decided not to roll his contract over. And, of course, that got out publicly. That very clearly painted a picture of tournament or bust. Um, it put a lot of pressure on, on the program at a time when uh, it had gotten some momentum. You know, they moved into a new building. They just gone to the, the quarterfinals of the NIT. He had his best recruiting class lined up. Things appeared to really kind of be moving in a positive direction, and the chancellor uh, circumvented that and sabotaged it, really, for lack of a better word. And rather than just saying, hey, we're moving on and, and making a move last March or April, they, um, they cut him out at the knees and, and sure enough the pressure was too much on that team and uh you know everything that could go wrong from a team standpoint did and it became obvious that they were moving away from andy kennedy after 12 years and i'll give him a ton of credit i thought he handled all of it with as much kind of class and dignity as anyone could and um you know made it where it, it was pretty seamless didn't make it messy there were some boosters who were very much pro Kennedy, who wanted to make it messy. Uh, he stopped that from happening. It's a it's a credit to him, but uh, you know it gave them a lot of time to look into the, the, the candidates that they wanted. They they went down the road with Thad Mata. Actually, brought Thad Mata to, to Oxford in much the same way Georgia did. Um, I think they offered him a job. I don't think Thad Mata was ready to get back into coaching. Um, I think they talked to Tom Crean. I think Tom Crean was already way down the road with Georgia by that point. Um, you know, they talked to Penny Hardaway. Uh, I don't know how serious that ever was. I think things were were uh, pretty serious with Steve Forbes at one point. They did not, they being East Tennessee, did not finish the season well. And Kermit Davis became a logical choice, a safe choice, uh, a guy that Ole Miss is, and I don't mean this negatively because maybe this happens at Missouri and other places too, Ole Miss has gotten real hung up on, this Mississippi made thing right now. Mm-hmm. They want Mississippians. They want their own, that kind of, they, they just, they've gotten really provincial for whatever reason. And, um, you know, Kermit is from Mississippi. His, uh, his dad was the head coach at Mississippi state. He played at Mississippi state. His brother lives in Olive branch, which is North Mississippi for your listeners that don't know. He has a sister that lives in Tupelo. His parents live in Tupelo. There are tons of Mississippi ties. I think that made him even more attractive to Ole Miss at this point in its history, and uh, the rest was pretty elementary. I think once he, once his name sort of emerged as as the leader, uh, you know, it, it just made a lot of sense. And Kermit's 58 years old; he's not in a position really to wait and see what else might be out there. It was a great opportunity for him financially, and um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for everybody involved. The ceiling for him is debatable. The floor is not. The floor is pretty high. Like you said, yeah. he's a guy that would have made sense in a place like Missouri. He makes sense at Ole Miss. He, the, the program's not going to fall apart under current. Well, and uh, and for those of you listening. That Andy, yeah, whether he can take the program to places where Andy Kennedy couldn't remains to be seen. Yeah, for those of you listening, Neil did have a really good story on, on kind of how things fell apart with Andy Kennedy. It was on our board. You can find it a couple weeks ago. But I tell you what, Neil, administration tripping over its own you-know-what and screwing up basketball, now you are speaking the language we speak in Columbia, Missouri. We <laughs> we can be on the same page for a while. But, uh, 
<laughs> you know, I, I asked Dasher this, and, and you kind of alluded to it in, in, in the answer there about Kennedy, but I, I asked Dasher, like, what realistic expectations were at Georgia. There is some history that shows Georgia can be better than it was under Mark Fox. Frankly, unless it's just a long time ago or I don't know, there's really not any history that shows Ole Miss can be better than what it was under Andy Kennedy. So can you Ole know, Miss be better than what it was under Andy Kennedy? You know, I don't know what you're referencing. I mean, this is a program that in its history has won five NCAA tournament games. That's five <laughs> games. That's a lot of games, man. I mean, five? You almost and, I mean, need two hands to count that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the next win for Ole Miss, they'll need to use their second hand. That is that is a lot. And, and then, and then, I mean, I think when you talk about Ole Miss's – I mean, how, how long do we have? We have, like, 30 minutes or so. Let's talk about Ole Miss's NBA presence right now. Okay. Um, is there one? Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Um, let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Where, where, where do we begin? Um, let's see. Uh, Elston Turner is an assistant coach, I think, with the Kings. Cool. Never he heard of Ole Miss. Um, uh, then there's uh, – Joel Embiid played at Ole Miss. Um, really? Wait, he didn't. Okay. No, he didn't. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to re- – there's so many that sometimes you just kind of <laughs> lose. You don't know where to start. There's no NBA presence at all. Wow. None. I mean, for the Missouri people that are upset – and, and, and I'm sure there aren't many, but maybe there's somebody who's upset about Michael Porter going pro. No, it's good. Right. Michael Porter going pro is good. He's going to be a lottery pick. He's going to come back to your campus. He's going to be there for camps and stuff. And when kids show up, he's just going to coincidentally be stumbling through the building. I mean, these are good things. You need those things for your program. You need an NBA presence in your program. The kids, the height. I know this is sometimes college fans don't don't want to accept this. These elite high school players, yeah, they, they, they want to have a good college experience. And That's stuff, not they what it's about. They want to get to the NBA, Gabe. They yeah. want to get to the NBA, and they need you to show them, hey, I can, as a coach, as a program, we have a path to the NBA, and it's a quick path. You need one and dones from your program, two and dones from your program. You need that. So, Neil, we lost you because you were so fired up about listing off all of Ole Miss's NC, or NBA players that I think yeah. the, the phone line just couldn't handle it. Uh, but, but, but the point <laughs> remains. So, so what's a realistic goal for Ole Miss in this league? Um I mean, like on a regular basis. Yeah, every now and then maybe they'll get a guy win the win the SEC tournament or maybe be in the top three in the league, whatever. But on a year-to-year basis, what's realistic? Well, you know, what's, what's interesting is, is that when you go back and you look at the Kennedy era, he was competitive every year except this one. Had one year when everybody got hurt, that happens, you throw that out. As a, but every other year when they had a, you know, a normal season, if you will, they were competitive. NIT, NCAA bubble couple of tournaments um you know they were always kind of a win or two away from the tournament um if you go back over and i don't know the exact time frame there's a period there but eight or nine years where outside of kentucky and florida ole miss was the most consistent program in the league now this is a different sec obviously eight teams from this league made the tournament as you know and and it, it, people are scheduling differently People are spending more money on, on basketball now. People are invested in basketball. Um, it appears that the league is, is headed in a direction that is um, with a real emphasis on the game. And with that happening, 
I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they, there's, they have nice, great facilities. It's a great arena. They have great practice facilities. Uh, they're spending money. Uh, Davis is making 2.5. They've got $900,000 for assistance. They're invested. Um, what's the ceiling, man? I don't, I don't know. I, the, the thing is, is it's, it's, it's a little bit of chicken and egg, you know, it's, it's how do you go about getting the elite players? Mississippi yeah. is if someone said the last 34 and five star players from Mississippi, Ole Miss has landed none, none. So, you know, how do you, how do you break that? How do you, how do you break that, that, that trend, how do you bring guys into your program that traditionally don't sign with you? And I don't know the answer to that. That's, mm-hmm. that's, I guess they're paying Kermit Davis $2.5 million to figure it out. Yeah, well, here, let me list off the teams that – I'm going to go two categories here. Number one category is teams that every year should be better than Ole Miss in this league, in my opinion. Kentucky, okay. Florida, Missouri, A&M, Tennessee. Every year, no exception. The team that the teams that I think should be probably usually better than Ole Miss, but not necessarily every year, probably Vandy. Um, Arkansas. Ar- oh, yeah, Arkansas. Put them in the every year. I forgot about them. So that's okay. six that I okay. think every year. So I think Ole Miss's ceiling is seventh consistently. But Mississippi State has more history. Vandy is capable of it. Uh, South Carolina has no history, really, but with Frank Martin, like a- at least 50-50. Alabama. Alabama has some should, history. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, LSU you're getting, has some history. It's, it's a, you're getting down to the 11th or 12th best program in this league, yeah. and yes. that's maybe being optimistic, right? No, I, I, think, I think it is fair to say that it's the worst program in the league. I think it's fair to say that it is the 12th pro, best program in the league. I think, you, I think you can make a case for Auburn and Georgia being every bit as challenged as Ole Miss for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, now they've improved. You know, for the longest time, Ole Miss played in Tadsmith Coliseum, and it was just an absolute – it was abysmal. Um, you know, they've improved their facilities dramatically. Maybe that makes a difference. Maybe it allows you to start thinking about about making a difference. I don't know. Um, you know, but, but yes, I mean, the ceiling – for that program from a from a SEC competitive standpoint consistently is probably 6th, 7th, 8th, somewhere in there. That's yeah. the ceiling. Now, now, if you can ever consistently get into that spot, you know the rest of the story. If you can consistently be the 7th best program in the league, you're going to have years where you catch some lightning in a bottle and a break goes your way and you're the 4th or the 5th best program in the league. And if you do that fairly consistently, you can be a tournament team if everyone's going to schedule appropriately and and if this year was not a misnomer in, in terms of the way that the committee seeded the field, I mean, that can put you in the tournament. That can that can make you a, a perennial contender to get in the tournament. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You have to invest, and they have. And, and but you, it's, it's that chicken and the egg thing about how do you get that elite player? How do you get, you know, the Colin Sexton, the Michael Porter Jr., the, the – those kinds of players, how do you get one to fall into your lap so that it becomes easier for you to recruit? You know, LSU had Jonathan Simmons. How, how do you get those kinds of players to come to your program where you can somehow get your program to start stair-stepping a little bit where it becomes more popular to play there and that kind of thing, and, and that's, that's a challenge. 
Yeah, it's frankly a very similar conversation, I think, for Missouri football, to be quite honest with you. I think Missouri football above Ole Miss basketball probably, but it like it's down in that in that kind of 10-11 range on a regular basis where you got to talk about how you can build it up. So last thing for you, Neil, um, well, second to last thing, actually, Ross Bjork is a former Mizzou guy. Um, the Hugh Freeze problem is well known. Andy Kennedy is out. Matt Lucan at football. Kermit Davis in basketball. So when um, when is Ross Bjork's job a topic of discussion, and do both of these new coaches have to be good? Well, it's always somewhat of a topic of discussion, and I'm not sure that's completely fair to him because the, the basketball thing, frankly, was not his making. That disaster was not his. This NCAA thing was not completely his making. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to excuse him for it. I don't think the strategy to roll over and hand the NCAA everything and then just kind of beg for some mercy, which is the stupidest Yes. stupidest possible way. Go go, Bruce Pearl, go North Carolina. Tell them you find what you want. We're not helping. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, here, here's your, it's the Marshall Henderson approach. Fingers, baby. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's how you, that's that's how you, the, the, the handbook on how you treat the NCAA is you tell them to go eat a bag. I mean, that's what right. you do. I mean, that's, that's what works. And Ole Miss, Ole Miss decided that they would try to completely rewrite the playbook and hand over everything and fully cooperate and then say, hey, you know, we, we have an exemplary cooperation. And the NCAA said, screw you. We're, we're going to make an example of you. It didn't work. You can imagine how boosters feel about that. And yet I think the smart people know that really wasn't Bjork's call. It was from above him, from a chancellor who is utterly clueless about athletics. He could not be more clueless about athletics. He, he came from Kansas, and uh, he, he apparently apparently never had a meaningful conversation with Bill Self because his his uh, his approach to to uh, intercollegiate athletics does not match uh, that of the Kansas basketball program. So um, it, 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 it's fascinating. Um, yes. Luke needs to win, though I'm still not convinced at all that Luke was Bjork's hire. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm fairly sure he wasn't. Wow. But, you know, I don't know that he'll be able to escape that if it doesn't work. Davis uh, Davis is Bjork's hire, and, and yeah, he'll he'll be held accountable for it if it doesn't work. Um, you know, he, he won't be alone in that accountability, but sure, yeah, he, he, he won't be able to withstand – uh, Luke and Davis failing and, and keep his job. I, I, I don't, I, there's, it's difficult to foresee that scenario. Um, but he, there are heads to roll before his does. All right. So, uh, speaking of the phrase, eat a bag, which by the way, I'm pretty sure that's the first time it's ever made an appearance on this podcast. Won't be the last though. Um, but, uh, that, that Glad is, to help. that is what our subscribers will want to, uh, <laughs> want, want to tell you after our final minute or so here, because it is opening day, and Neil is one of the bigger Chicago Cubs fans I know. So, so what are they doing, man? Are they going back? Yeah, they're going to win the Central. Um, they're better this year than they were the year they won the World Series. They've got money to spend at the deadline. Um, and there's a bunch of young guys that are kind of – this is going to be the season that they have to figure out. They've been you know, Epstein and Jed Hoyer and those guys, they have to figure out. Uh, who sticks and who doesn't, because I didn't believe it until fairly recently, and I'm 
I know some people, and I did not believe all the Bryce Harper stuff until fairly recently, and I now kind of believe it. I wow. think they're going to be major players in the offseason for uh, Harper or Machado, and probably Harper. And so I think uh, I think the window in the eyes of Epstein and Hoyer is wide open for the next three or four years, and I don't think there's any question that they're about to go for it. All right, well, we will talk to you before then, but I'll make you this deal. If Bryce Harper signs with the Chicago Cubs, we are going to have you on this podcast, and I can promise you that will likely be your last appearance once my listeners find you on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, well, go Cubs, go Royals, and listen, I I don't wish anything all that bad on the Cardinals. I hope they don't lose anything more than 162 games this year. (laughs) All right, Neil. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Have a good one. Neil McCready, rebelgrove.com. He does a great job covering uh, covering Ole Miss. Hey, you really should go find that story he did on the end of the Andy, Andy Kennedy era. Great behind-the-scenes stuff. Just having a little fun with the baseball stuff at the end. Look, you all know who my team is. They're going to suck this year. Dudes are falling down the stairs carrying luggage. Like, it's not going to go well. So, it's all in good fun. Whatever. Six months down the road, we'll figure out how it all shakes out. But uh wanted to kind of wrap up, wrap up a bunch of things um, basketball-wise. I mean, Courtney Ramey, the high school season. We got a little Tom Crean talk at Georgia, a little Ole Miss stuff. So those are the changes in the SEC this year. Uh, hey, basketball still the topic of conversation around here, and, and I have a feeling probably will be mostly up until August because a lot to shake out. I expect maybe, frankly – while I was recording this podcast, it came out. I doubt it. But sometime in the next few days, I think we're going to hear from Jonte Porter that he's going to declare for the NBA draft and not hire an agent. And then that's going to play out over the next next few weeks. We're going to get a decision one way or another from Courtney Ramey where he's going to go to school. We're going to find out, you know, which transfers, grad transfers, whatever Conzo Martin brings into this program. And this roster is going to take shape over the course of the next couple months. Remember, Cassius Robertson committed, I I believe it was in mid-May last year. So we're still talking six to ten weeks probably before this thing really takes shape and we know what to look at going forward. But um, next couple weeks, the attention is going to be on recruiting on spring football, all that black and gold game, April 14th. Uh, Mitchell Forty will join me again on the podcast here going forward. Uh, he is uh, off this week. Uh, not off, but off from the podcast anyway. So he'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Went a little long, but uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday.